0: From inside John Hurt's chest, it's the IGN. Did you guys put your hands together for two face huggers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser? All right, Mark, in the in the uh, the roulette game of Butler, are you putting your money on Warner Brothers or uh, Harvey?
1: Well, we should probably give some context to that because I don't know if everybody knows this story. And I've got to tell you, it's an interesting story. You know, with this, there's so much like inside baseball negotiations and whatnot that go on with these movies. And this one, which Wade will explain, is an interesting little fight between Harvey Weinstein, who was always the heavyweight champ in all these uh, scenarios, and well, the Warner Brothers.
0: It, it, it always, it, you know, everything always boils down to Harvey using a dispute with the NPAA or a dispute with the NPAA rules to generate uh, you know, publicity for a movie. And it's unbelievable because every time he gets an NC-17 where he wanted an R or an R where he wanted a PG, all he does is just make a stink and stamp his feet and throw a tantrum. And then he eventually gets his way and the tantrum wound up being free publicity and the movie winds up making money, which is all he wanted in the first place. I mean, Bully being the most recent example, but now this is The Butler... Which is uh, the new Lee Daniels film? Lee Daniels, who did Precious, which is based on uh, a true story of a guy who was a butler in the White House. Who you know, he was a sharecropper's son, and he he you know came from the cotton fields and never had a formal education, and wound up you know working his way up becoming a butler in the White House, and he served every president from um, uh, uh, Eisenhower all the way through uh, Reagan. And uh, you know, then was invited back when Obama became president. And, you know, the whole thing of seeing a black man elected president and just kind of vindicated his whole life. And there's, you know, it's, it's, it, the the concept behind it is very moving. We'll we'll see how the movie is. Um, but, uh, you know, Forrest Whitaker plays the lead, and they've been promoting this thing for months as the butler. And then all of a sudden, uh, Warner Brothers says, no, under MPAA, because you're a signatory to the MPAA, and so are we, there's, uh, there are MPAA rules that say that you ha- if you want to use a title for your movie that is owned by an- that belongs to another movie that is owned by another MPAA member, we have to go to an arbitration or you have to ask permission. And we have a 1916 silent comedy short uh, that is also called The Butler, and we don't want you to use the title. And they went to NPAA arbitration, which ruled for Warner Brothers. And they went Niner Niner, and then uh, Harvey went and hired David Boyce of uh, you know two thousand uh, Florida the, election of the, uh, fame the and and Bush, yeah. of the Gore Bush fame, and the and also of uh, Boyce was on the Gore side, right? Wasn't he? Wasn't he? He was on. He was on the the Gore side. He was on the Gore side. Yeah, yes. and, and he was on the Gore side, and then uh, he also was on Prop Eight with his former opponent. From uh, the, uh, the 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 Bush Gore fight, right? They like joined forces, right. right? And uh, the guy who lost his wife in nine eleven. What's his name? I always forget his name. Anyway, uh, never mind. It's not important. So uh, the so anyway, uh, they hired David Poist to send, you know, to file a restraining order and to do all his mean stuff. And we're not going to abide by the fines. And then the Warner Brothers attorneys are firing back these nasty letters. I'm I'm sorry. I just keep thinking it's like maybe Warner Brothers is technically correct by the rules, but just by doing this and saying we're trying to protect the title to a 1916 silent short that we've never even seen fit to put out on DVD or even stream and we, we may not even know where the hell the negative is and it might not even exist anymore that's just it's just lame dude it just it, it just makes you look petty
1: it really does and you know and, and Harvey's been smart in using the whole making Warner Brothers look Horrible because this is a civil rights story yeah. about African Americans. Oh, and, and
0: Lee Daniels sent a personal letter, which yes. of course he made public to Kevin Sujihara, the new CEO of uh, the new studio head over at Warner Brothers. And Sujihara apparently wrote a private letter back. Um, so who knows what the content of that was, but that was sent the same day that the Warner lawyers, you know, uh, started, started spouting off. But Warner Brothers just doesn't look good here, and uh, allegedly it, there's something else going on behind the scenes, which is that Warner Brothers wanted the uh, rights to some w- Weinstein movie to remake, and Harvey didn't play ball, and they're they're pissed off about it. But it's still Warner Brothers just looks lame. It just goes. It's like it's like going back to the Groucho thing, you know, the uh, Night, the in, Night Casablanca. in Casablanca, yeah, yeah it's, which was again Warner Brothers saying, you know, we don't want you to use the name Casablanca, and he sent that really but, but really the, the, unbelievably funny letter.
1: But the difference is, is that Groucho Marx can send a letter yeah. to Warner Brothers attorney that is yes. just gut-bustingly funny. <laughs> and then Warner Brothers would send back a letter to Groucho saying, um, can you please explain the plot of your film? Because we didn't quite get it from your letter. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then Groucho says another letter that's even like, more cryptic. You know, and, then, and, and then they just released the movie anyway. Yeah, well, and but now they... you get Lee Daniels, who's yeah. like, obviously, that's, yeah. th- there's, no, there's no more humor left in these sorts of situations. So Lee Daniels' letter, if you read it, is very uh, heartfelt, and movie means a yeah. lot to him, and it's a civil rights story. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Well, That's the thing. It's like these things, are, these things make big, huge Hollywood, you know, mucky mucks look very petty.
0: Well, it, it, it will be resolved. I mean, there's going to be an agreement. But... Although, you
1: know what? The, the, uh, supposedly, uh, this is funny, the Warner Brothers did sign off on Lee Daniels' The Butler. They just did not sign off on The Butler.
0: You're not going to release it as Lee Daniels, no. the butler. Who well, is this, you John just... Carpenter? It, it, John
1: Carpenter's <laughs> the thing. John Carpenter's the butler.
0: <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, they'll come to an agreement, but the result of all of this dust-up and during the interim will be to do only two things. Um, it'll give the butler a lot of free publicity, like we're giving it right now, and uh, it'll make Warner Brothers look petty. I mean, I don't see how that's ever a positive for Warner Brothers. So, I mean, Harvey is already winning this. It's just, it, and, and let's say Warner Brothers does prevail and they preserve the title for The Butler. Well, goody bully for you. That, that 1916 silent comedy short is really going to rake it in, isn't it? I mean, yes, are you, are, are you going to remake it? Are you going to remake it because it's got uh, pre awareness, that title? Because people are, oh, I've been waiting for them to do that. I heard that was really good. It like stars people I've never heard of. I don't even know what it's about. No one knows. It's, it's better Butler. No, whatever.
1: It's high school. It's you ridiculous. know, these guys are duke, you know, like like it's high school. Whatever.
0: Speaking of pre-awareness, and uh, everybody apparently really liked the interview that I did with Stefan Hammond last week, gave you the week off. Do you have a good Independence Day?
1: I did have a good Independence good. Day. I saw fireworks, and I had a nice meal with my Very mother. Nice. Good
0: deal. Um, well, yeah, the you know talked to Stefan Hammond, who I haven't seen since uh, the month of the handover of Hong Kong, so I'm in Hong Kong in 1997. And uh, he came here. He's, he's looking to uh, do, start doing more books and stuff again. So uh, we talked about Hong Kong film, and it was, a, it was a great interview, and a lot of people seemed to really like it. And on that account... Um, on the Facebook page, I have certainly been saying a lot of amazing things about the new Linda Obst book, uh, Sleepless in Hollywood. Mm. And Mark's getting up to go get his copy of it. It looks like, yes, he is. He's, he's running to go get his copy. Um, you know, Linda Obst, the uh, the producer of countless great movies, mostly romantic comedies, things like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Sleepless in Seattle. And, I just uh, slammed it on the table. And uh, Contact. And what else has Linda Obst done? I mean, lots of Let amazing Let me read
1: movies. the back of her book. Uh, Linda Obst directed, directed uh, produced *The Fisher King*. There you go. The *Adventures in Baby City*. Hope floats. Sleeps right. in Seattle. This is my life. Whatever that is. Um, this is and, my life. Uh, was the Nora Ephron thing and Star Wars With Julie,
0: Julie Kavner. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Linda Oakes, uh, an amazing producer, had previously written the book uh, H- *Hello, He Lied*, which was all about her initial adventures in Hollywood. This is about the new Hollywood. And Linda Obst used to be an editor at the New York Times Magazine, and she. Um, kind of put her journalist hat back on for this book uh, because she wanted to figure out why is suddenly do produ- is, is it so hard to be a producer when you were always a successful producer not just for her but for so many others why has the business just suddenly become all about superheroes and sequels and why is it so hard to get anything done and you know why is it, it the sky is falling and so she went and she talked to all of the people that only she has access to right she went to Jim Gianopoulos and she went to agents and marketing people and uh, you know uh, Peter Chernin and in to to really kind of figure this out it's a, it's a little bit of a a, of, a, of a detective story, and it includes a lot of her own experiences at Paramount, which is the middle chapter of the book. Have you read it yet? Have you?
1: I'm on page uh, 110.
0: Okay, so you're you're not yet into the Paramount stuff.
1: Actually, the Paramount stuff. Actually, that's the that's the uh, chapter I'm on.
0: From there you Paramount
1: go. to paranoia. Th-
0: that that is an unbelievably riveting chapter. Anyway, um, the uh, it's, it, this is a great book, and I think it's the most. I would say it's the most important uh, book written about the movie business and where it's going since William Goldman's Adventures in Screen Trade.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. My uh, my aunt was in town over the weekend and we were talking about uh, movies and, you know, my aunt is, you know, 70 and lives in New York and yep. isn't, uh, you know... She loves movies, but she's not a super consumer of the business. And we were talking about movies and she's, and we were talking about Man of Steel and she says, yeah, because nowadays, you know, they just make movies for teenage boys. I yep. Said, Hang on for a 2nd Mm-hmm. That's actually... That's true, but that's almost five to ten year old thinking. Because what they're really doing is they're making movies for China. Yes. And that's the crux of yeah. Linda's book.
0: And it is it is an amazing book. I mean it's amazing, isn't it? Aren't you loving it?
1: We uh, you know what it's here's the thing. It's she says Nothing that I think we haven't already thought of, but she says in an entertaining she puts way it together. with inside access
0: that's enjoyable to read. Absolutely. It's stuff that we say every week on the podcast, that I say every week on NPR, that we all talk about with each other after every bad screening and we all rant about it, but she somehow brings it all together and puts it up you know, on a canvas with a frame. And it makes it understandable, and it, it's just it's it's brilliant. I think it's an incredible book, Sleepless in Hollywood, and I'm so I was so enamored of the book that I, I actually chased her down. Believe it or not, really? Yes, I did. You didn't tell me that. I chased Linda Obe's down, and I talked to her uh, last week for an hour on the phone. What? And I recorded it, and it's going to be a midweek. See, I didn't tell you about. No, this. No, you didn't. I don't this know is, this. This is going to be a midweek update to the podcast. We're really? Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have IGN throw this up uh, middle of the week um and or you know a few days after this episode goes up What the up, hell I would
1: have wanted uh, <laughs> I <laughs> well, would have been interested in interviewing her too Well
0: you were you were taking your week off this yeah. was uh, this was your your off week you're mean. Um, so, I had no knowledge of that. I know. Were you
1: I, booking guests behind my back well, and interviewing them and putting them on the?
0: Well, I was doing. Podcast. I was doing all this stuff during the, the during the. Wait, off so what'd week.
1: you do? So you you email? You talk to her agent or email well, the, the pub- the, publisher or whatever? the
0: the publicist for the publisher. I got hold of them and I just said I I I I would love to talk to her. I'd love to you know be able to set something up at a cafe or something. Turns out she's in New York. She's on her book tour, so uh, it had to be a phoner. But we we just got to talking and. Uh, it, it, it was it uh, illuminating on a level I can't even I can't I mean it it you know crystallized all the stuff from the book and I obviously brought up a lot of things that aren't in the book and she was wonderful she's just great so uh, I'm gonna throw that up middle of the week and uh, I
1: don't want to have to go I don't want to have to go to IGN to listen to our podcast
0: fine I'll send you the file thank you I'll send you the file separately you thank can you. Uh, you can listen to it now it she it was it was uh she's just great and I'm so. You know, so glad that she's out there doing this and fighting the good fight. And the thing about the book is, don't you agree, she's kind of like a prophet of doom but also a prophet of, like, salvation at the same time. Like, she's telling us how bad things are and how bad it's going to get, but there's still light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Well, I'm just not sure, you know, through this book, and since I didn't get to interview Linda, I don't know, (laughs) but I'm just not sure who's going to be
0: shamed by reading this,
1: is any studio, will any studio head be shamed oh, yeah. into making, into, well, do, do,
0: shamed into doing something differently? No. But does anybody come, Is
1: Disney going to be shamed into making anything it, other than Pixar and Well, uh, not Lucas shamed, and,
0: but I think what she talks about eventually is that the economics that there are, that they are relying on Cannot it, it's an unsustainable dream.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of like what uh, what Spielberg and Lucas said a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. And and also, I y- if you want to talk about people who don't come off smelling very good in the book, I mean, you're in the chapter right now. There's there's a certain studio head right now of a certain studio.
1: Oh, is Brad Grey? Who
0: who really doesn't look very good in this book?
1: I'm literally on it, on that chapter right now, from yeah. Paramount to paranoia.
0: Yeah, there's I, I'm there's, I mean, I'm not going to you know say anything specific I'm only
1: on one two I'm only on the third page oh of the show.
0: you have no idea you haven't even oh th- it, this I'm sure is, it's Brad Gray it's, this is brilliant stuff I'm this sure is, it's
1: brilliant. no because <laughs> she, she she loves Sherry Lansing
0: oh everyone loves Sherry Lansing I mean Sherry Lansing comes up and the thing is everyone loves Sherry Lansing legitimately for all those reasons I, I, I mean Sherry Lansing is so universally beloved because she's friends with everyone and she just loves everyone Sherry Lansing talked to my Peter Goober class when I was in film school And among many other people, I mean, obviously we had, you know, John Peters and David Putnam and uh, Larry Gordon and Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. I mean, they all came and talked to our class at that time. Goober was able to really, you know, pull in the cream of the crop at the time to really talk to this class. It was unbelievable. I I look back and I'm like, holy crap, did all those people really come in and talk to our class? Are you kidding me? Uh, But they did. And Sherry was one of them. (laughs) And She said to the class, she goes, you know, I tell everybody, I'm going to tell you. And I may resent saying this to a film school class, but I return every call that I get every day. And I thought, you are an unbelievable lady. Because I would normally say you're stupid, but I know you're not stupid. That's amazing because I guarantee you half the people in this class are going to call you up and go, would you, would you return my call, I want you to make my movie. <laughs> like I mean, she, And she's, she's going to do it. She's going to return calls that film students send to her. I just thought, that's amazing that you would say that to a film school class. I return every call I get every day. Did you call her? I, of course not. I'm not. I'm, no, I'm not going to do that. I know what the. I mean. Th- that doesn't mean she's going to make your movie. It just means she's going to return your call. That's true. Uh, that's all. Wait. So anyway, you
1: know, we used to talk about DVDs on. This we
0: show. used to, and we need to again. And speaking of the butler, um, <laughs>
1: that includes the word but.
0: You know, uh, one of the one of the the part one of the people who's in the butler actually is Cooper Gooding Jr., who has not made an actual movie and by actual movie I mean a movie that has been released in movie theaters for I don't know how many years
1: I it, know it,
0: it, it, he, he's like Mr. Straight to DVD so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe there's something in the butler that will uh, you know that will resurrect his career but uh, that being said uh, we've got a couple of straight to <laughs> DVD Gooding vehicles oh, here and I, I, you know if it weren't for the butler I wouldn't even be mentioning them but um, Mark what's, what, what do these two have in common? kuba
1: gooding jr w- carrying a gun well
0: yeah <laughs> one is summoned and uh the other one the title is, is
1: absolute deception
0: yes and both of them have a picture of kuba holding a gun on the on the cover
1: well because uh you know why because it's straight to dvd and you see the cover and he's looking all 70 out in yeah. absolute deception he's carrying a gun you figure it's a thriller it's exciting lots of violence i'm on board but uh this movie obviously is uh terrible no.
0: Yeah, they, no, they, neither one of them is, ter- is terrible. And the good. thing is that,
1: that, that there's nobody else in there's a in woman the on, on
0: the cover of both of them, too.
1: That is true. Yeah. But there's nobody else in these films but him. I mean, yeah. it's him and a bunch of people you've never heard of.
0: That's right. Payday. Both uh, payments. It's, 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 it's a payday. Uh,
1: so anyway, do we have to explain what these are? No. I mean, in no, Absolute Deception, no. he plays an FBI agent. And uh, in Summoned, he uh, plays a, uh, 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 there's a serial killer. He's, and Cuba's got to find him. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what can I say? <laughs> he's
0: terrible.
1: He's on the case.
0: He's on the case,
1: and it's so great how like now these straight to DVD these straight to DVD movies get to say, starring Academy Award winner Cuba Gooding Jr. You know yep. there's a movie out uh, coming out called In a World.
0: I know, <laughs> I know, want to see that. I know. Starring uh, what's your face? Bell? Whatever. Yeah, she directed it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. In a world. Yeah, Ray saw it. He saw it up at Sundance. Ooh, was it was good. He didn't think much of it. Really? No. Uh, and then also should point out the Clint Eastwood 20 film collection uh, has come out on Blu-ray. Ooh. That came out uh, about a month ago, and the only they they didn't send it to us, of course, but they because uh, it's you know too expensive to send to us. It's like 180 bucks or and you know 130 on on DVD, so that that they can't send a lot of those around. Not that they're losing anything on it. That's just being cheap. But uh, damn, Warner Brothers, you and your butler problems, and now you're being cheap on us. Damn you, Warner Brothers. But they did send us uh, Eastwood Directs, The Untold Story, uh, which is the, uh, the documentary about his whole directing style and uh, all the people he's worked with. And i got to tell you, it's really good, but um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no untold story here. <laughs> the <They're not, laughs> story's it's, been told. Uh, I mean, I always hate that. It's, uh, that's like the worst cliche, the untold story. It's like something that appears on, a, on, a, on a, you know, a, a, an unauthorized biography by Kitty, uh, whatever her name is.
1: Well, there's two. There's the Eastwood Factor, and then there's Eastwood Directs the Untold Story. Those are the two kind of documentary things on this big disc. It was like yeah. 100 bucks. But it's you know what's right up there. It has uh, trouble with the curve, which I thought was old fashioned and, yeah. and fun. Jay Edgar, not good. Hereafter, not good. Invictus, not good. Grand Torino was hilarious. Grand Torino is a weird movie because I don't know that Clint Eastwood expected us to think that movie was so goddamn hilarious. <laughs> I just found that movie hilarious? <laughs> no, not at all. I don't think he really wanted us to just 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 bust a gut over how horribly racist this guy was. But I just couldn't stop laughing.
0: I I yeah. Well, you know, it, it, look. It's it's a fun film whether it's intentional or not doesn't matter.
1: You know it's a fun film too. Space Cowboys. I think Space Cowboys is fun. I like that movie. I do, and uh, people love. Perfect oh, World. Space
0: Cowboys. That's right. Where it's fun.
1: James it, Garner and it's uh, like
0: uh, all the old dudes as astronauts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Yeah.
1: Fire. Oh, remember Firefox?
0: I loved Firefox. That was that was was that the magic year? Was that an eighty-two film? Uh, fire. It was Fox. right in there. Let me. I don't see. think it was, an it, like no, an no, it was eighty-two film. Might have been like an No, it was eighty-two.
1: It was eighty-two. It was
0: eighty-two. See that damn eighty-two man. It's awesome.
1: So, wow. the, Clint Eastwood, he sent to Russia or the Soviet Union to steal a prototype jet fighter. Yeah. That, is awesome. a, that can be controlled by your mind.
0: That was the, the first big effects film that um, uh, John Dykstra did after Star Wars. Is that right? Remember, because he, he lost the gig after Star Wars. Dykstra wanted, to, wanted too much power over the next Star Wars film. So, when they did Empire Strikes Back, they brought in Brian Johnson, who had done all the stuff on Space 1999. Brian Johnson See, that's
1: was, how you know that story because it's related to space of course Brian Johnson I'm like how do you know that
0: Brian Johnson was the was the effects guy for uh, space 1999 and he came on and did Empire Strikes Back and John Dykstra was kind of thrown to the curve with his uh, I think it was, was his uh, or Apogee. Apogee, no, Apogee 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 yeah that was his effects company and then he finally you know got another, another big gig with uh, Firefox it was great. Loved now,
1: now speaking of light comedies, Wade, why don't you talk about what's in your hand right we're gonna, now?
0: We're going to talk about documentaries first. Mark, I, 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 this is the subject of more Mark Kaiser jokes in, in history than true, any other right? movie. So I'm going to let you talk about it. Well. <laughs> it, Criterion. We're talking about a Criterion documentary release, which uh, you should set some time aside for.
1: I mean, as, as much as we're going to laugh at this. <laughs> I mean this is as much as we're going to laugh at this this is this is a groundbreaking yeah um all-time masterpiece this is the uh Claude Landsman's 9-hour Shoah. now Shoah is from 1985 and uh it's about the holocaust and he interviews survivors and people who lived through the war and experienced the war he visits uh you know a bunch of key sites uh from the holocaust all across uh Poland he visits a couple of extermination camps, testimony. I mean, Shoah is absolutely definitive. Yep. It is about as definitive a documentary as you'll ever get about any subject. First of all, because it's nine freaking
0: hours. Yes.
1: But um, also because it is just that good. So obviously nine hours is, you know, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a good five days of... And and,
0: and, and and we should point out at age eighty seven, he is still making documentaries. He was recently with one at the Cannes Film Festival. So, but he's never done anything that uh, sort of. Shoah is his, you know, his magnum opus, and it really is an unbelievable movie. I mean, it is it is the lab, it is a labor of love, it is a labor of passion, it's a labor of justice, and uh, Criterion just went bananas on this thing. So, as you have to, really. Uh, but it's long. Just bear in mind, it's long. You know,
1: it, it's 566 minutes.
0: It, it, uh, and it definitely wears you down emotionally. At a certain point, you just kind of, you just sort of check out, and it becomes academic. It, you, you, there's just no other way to sort of react to it and respond to it.
1: Although we gave it uh, best documentary way back in 1985.
0: Yes, we did before we Laugh-y were day. even in the group. That is
1: true. <laughs> anyway, so uh,
0: we should ask Myron about that. Myron, what was it like when you voted show a best documentary? <laughs> Did people actually watch it or did they, were they just guilted into it and just said, I can't, I, you know what, I'm fine, sure, here it is. What, what am I going to vote against this?
1: Let's just say like, Do
0: I need to watch nine hours to know I'm going to vote for this?
1: In, in your in your 1985 Oscar pool, if you didn't click this, you were out of your mind. <laughs> anyway, this is a 4K digital transfer, so yeah. obviously the f- footage is Thanks. very old, but it still looks fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. There's three additional films by Landsman um, that are included here. There's a conversation between Landsman, and uh, that's a great interview right there. So, Again, I don't know what to say, if otherwise, uh, other than if you love documentaries and you're a Holocaust scholar, and any interest in the Holocaust show is a masterpiece.
0: And we got a lot of foreign foreign affair type stuff on the documentary front this week. Uh, the next one is uh, the 2012 Best Documentary uh, nominee, The Gatekeepers. Yeah, which I like think should have I think should have won. This also won our Lafka Award. Uh, I thought it should have won the Oscar, but I understand why the the Searching for Sugar Man won. Because it's cool, Search of Sugarman's cool documentary, but The Gatekeepers is unbelievable. Uh, this is essentially a documentary that uh, brings together every single living uh, former head of Shin Bet, which is the Israeli secret service, to talk about the current situation in Israel and you know their experiences and what they've done wrong and what they should do going forward if you had to do it again, and how are we going to solve this horrible situation? And mind you, every single one of them without without f- fault without uh, exception says you know what this ain't working we got we got to do something else that's the amazing
1: part of it and, every and, single one and, 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 and these these guys are not cherry-picked to, to no, say what the director no. wants them to say these are f- former heads of shin bet
0: every single former head of shin bet there are only two heads of shin bet from the beginning of the state of israel who are not interviewed here one of them is dead and the other one is the current head, who obviously, because of his, his position, is not allowed to talk to, do, to to documentary crews. But every single other guy who has ever run Shin Bet from the beginning of the state of Israel is interviewed here. And without fail, they all say the same thing. It ain't working. I mean, it really, it's powerful. It, wherever you lie on the political spectrum, you can't watch this and not go – well, I guess there's another side to the coin. There isn't. It's just – it's amazingly persuasive and they don't um, – yeah, they're not cherry-picked and it's it's just a beautiful film. Yep, it's a I powerful agree. film. It really is. Uh, this is on Blu-ray from Sony Pictures Classic, also on DVD, but we've got a Blu-ray in front of us and uh, I don't normally say, oh, well, you know, the documentary, you, you know, you got to see it on Blu-ray, but this one you really do. There's just something um, something that just kind of – it just the, those faces, the faces are just – seeing those faces in high def really, really just makes it so personal.
1: Uh, Way Death by China is a, another documentary. This is one of those, more of a DIY uh, situation here. Uh, this is all about how uh, America's, f- you know, manufacturing relationship with China. Why China's China wonderful. It's going to be an issue. Yeah. Uh, unless you work in the movie biz, in which case you should just do nothing but praise China for, from, from here to eternity. Yep. But uh, the fact, you know, here's the thing, Wait, In 100 years when I'm long dead. I just think that China's going to like just own the world. I mean, there's a billion of them.
0: Yeah, but you know what? That I mean, this a lot of these this this doc doesn't necessarily get into it so much, but a lot of people are saying the Chinese economy is going to implode.
1: Well, I mean, there's rapid, rapid growth in China. And remember,
0: China doesn't China doesn't actually own any intellectual property. You know, this is the thing: United States and England and France. there, There are you know, every one of these countries has industry that people rely on. Like we've got Apple Computer and we've got Google and all this stuff. What does China make that they actually own? They don't. They make the stuff that everybody else invents. It's just, it's, you know, as we're a consumer-driven economy, China is a manufacturing-driven economy. And that could, re- that that's a bubble that can pop. It's, it, you know, and the problem is it's a bubble that can pop and bring everybody else down with it.
1: That is true. And so. you'll, uh, you'll hear some of that in Death by China, which is, uh, look, it's vital. It's interesting. It's a good primer on the subject. It uh, puts people on notice. Uh, so it's good stuff, Death by China
0: The autobiography, we're, we're heavy, heavy stuff today The autobiography of Nikolai Ceausescu uh, You know, I, as people know, who know me know, I'm not a fan of dictators I, You know, they sort of bug me a little bit uh, A lot of that comes from the fact that I, uh, my mother grew up under Hitler So I, I, I tend to view them rather negatively and I'm literally
1: a- under Hitler? Like, Literally like, under. Hila was at a desk. And yeah, Hila that's Hila it. And she desk. was under the
0: desk, precisely. <laughs> Growing up. Uh, Ceaușescu, uh, I, I, I celebrated the day that he and, he and his wife got shot in the alley. I really did. Uh, this guy was just such a brutal, horrible, miserable uh, individual. What he did to Romania is just inexcusable. And uh, the autobiography of Nikolai Ceaușescu is, uh, is all about this psychotic lunatic. And uh, it, it, what's interesting is it uses his own all the stuff that he shot to generate his own myth, all of his own propaganda, it sort of uses it against him. And boy, does it beautiful. It's just so well put together. Uh, they went through uh, like a thousand hours of stuff to uh, to come up with this movie. It is, uh, it is really, really well done. Director Andre Ujica, I hope I haven't murdered his name, uh, really, really does a great job. This is just an exceptional film, a beautiful look at history. And uh, bravo to Kino Lorber for bringing it out.
1: Uh, Wade, uh, one of the great documentary experiments of all time. Mm continued last year with uh, Michael Apted's 56 Up. Yeah. Now in uh, 1964, I think it was, Michael Apted, the young Michael Apted uh, did a documentary called Seven Up. It was actually it was Seven Up. It was uh, he interviewed us uh, seven he interviewed a group of seven-year-olds about uh, you know, their childhood and what they want when they grow up and what their life is like and li- living in England and he revisited That group of kids every seven years. There's been a 7-up, a 14-up, a 21-up, 28-up, 35-up, 42-up, 49-up. And now, 2012, we have 56-up. So if you look at the totality... Of this series, it is unbelievably remarkable it because is. you see what these kids wanted to be when they were 7 and 14 and 21 and how their lives actually turned out.
0: What's he going to call the last one? Like Up Yours? Up or, Yours. Or... Well,
1: it's funny because some of these subjects, they feel like their life's been kind of ruined by this documentary series. because They feel like every seven years there's, gonna be, there's going to be a public accounting their life.
0: That's what's interesting. Their life. Is, is this documentary really hands-off or is it a little bit like a reality show where – I mean are you really watching lives as they would unfold – Or has the movie become part of the lives unfolding?
1: Well, at seven-year increments, it's tough to say that – I don't know that the subjects say to themselves, wow, I can't do that because it will wind up in the documentary in five years. Because seven years is enough of a a gap where they probably just live their lives.
0: Don't you think at some point it's going to be like, you know, go away? No, well, well no, it's some of these, he, I know. look,
1: Michael, uh, Apted, he had to chase these people down. I know. And some of them didn't want to talk to him. I know. So uh, I, I think he got them all. Uh, but it's just absolutely remarkable. Nothing like it. Cannot wait for, uh, uh, what's 56 plus 7? Cannot wait for 63
0: up. <laughs> 70. Is, is Apted going to be around for 70 up?
1: I know. I think uh, Apted is, he's, he's, he's got to be in his 70s, right? He's in his 70s. Yeah, he was born in 1941, so how yeah. old how Well, he
0: 1941, uh, let's see, that makes so him 72. 72. 72. Wow. Yeah,
1: 72. So in, 70, so in 79, he, when he's 79, he'll be doing 63 up.
0: Yeah. Which, which shows how
1: young he was when he started this project.
0: Yeah, so how, he'll be in his 80s to do 70 up. Yeah. But, you know, he will. Because, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I didn't do it this year, uh, but I usually run a uh, 5K race on the uh, 4th of July, and he's always there. He is. He's always there. He's running, man. He's keeping yeah. himself fit, so he'll. If he, he's keeping himself, you know, ready to. He's, he'll be there for seventy up. You got but, to. You got to go from seventy up to seventy seven to seventy. You Got to do it because it's the perfect deal, right?
1: And because he directed a Bond film, it's the seven thing. 007. Oh yeah. Bam. Yeah. Super bam. I anyway, fifty six up is Double, uh, seven unbelievable. up. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, a couple of uh, first run features titles here that come in the little thin eco packaging uh, stuff here. Um. One is called Fairland Getty, A Rebirth of Wonder. This is a film by uh, Christopher Felver. And uh, if you, if Getty is like this uh, – he's like a beat generation fixture. He's, you know, I, I, I've never read his poetry. Uh, all I know is what I've seen in the documentary. And I have to say I don't particularly care for the poetry. But um, he's, a, he's a central figure. You know, he's right there with the Burroughs and Ginsburg and Kerouac. And, uh, he, 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 you know, his bookstore is very famous that he, he opened in the, in the 1950s. So I thought it was an interesting uh, portrait of a guy, uh, a guy I probably wouldn't have any interest in otherwise. And uh, then we've also got Eleven Flowers by Chinese director Wang Xiaoshuai. Mark, say that ten times quickly.
1: Uh, no. Yeah.
0: Well, anyway, uh, this is not a documentary, but I'm throwing it in there because first-run features uh, so rarely actually uh, comes up with, you know, films that are, I mean, most of what they do are documentaries. So it's nice when uh, you get a first-run feature that is, uh, is narrative, and this is really uh, quite touching. This is one of the few new Chinese films that I'm actually fond of uh, because so many of them are just so generic now, and they're either, you know, very kind of reactionary or they're very kind of party line. Uh, but this is a cultural revolution story about a, a young boy. And it's just his uh, how he and his family are just making it through, and you know, trying to somehow keep their hold their lives together uh, right at the end of the Cultural Revolution, and hopefully make it to the next stage. Beautiful story, very much like uh, some of the fifth uh, generation movies that I love so much. My uh, you know Zhang Yimou and Chen Kaiga, the stuff that they just don't don't do anymore. It's really nice stuff. And uh, then I want to plug a couple of documentaries that some friends of mine made. Damn it, Mark.
1: Um, I'm going to assume you'll be you'll rave
0: Do you know Doug Blush have you ever met Doug
1: uh, you've mentioned him to me, but I've not met him. Doug, uh,
0: Doug, I, I, I know Doug through Ray, and uh, Doug was very Doug and his wife uh, Lisa Klein, tremendous documentarians, really, really good people, and uh, they had all kinds of success with their documentary of Two Minds, which is now out from DocuRama, which is uh, formerly a division of New Video, which of course is all a division now of Cinedime, uh, the new Chris McGurk Empire. Chris McGurk, formerly of Overture, whose house we were at, where uh, we saw Dustin Hoffman.
1: Oh, my God, it was so embarrassing <laughs> because I love Dustin Hoffman so much. And you're like, what are you going to say to Dustin Hoffman? Oh, my God, here comes Dustin Hoffman. And I was like, I've loved all your movies since <sighs> I was a kid. It's just something. It's just like, God, you're such an idiot. Uh, what is wrong with me?
0: <laughs> well, anyway,
1: and, then, and then, get this, we were with Andrew uh, Curtis. Yes, or, we were. Or did he tell us that? No, we no, no, were, we were with Andrew. Andrew. And then Andrew, of course, Mark, the idiot, was like, I love your movies, I like you. Then and Andrew walks and then across then the grass. Said, he said, he's like, 1992, Prospero, No, on the it, board. Was, it was Shylock. He Shylock, was on the boards, at the Globe. You were brilliant. <laughs> and, of course, Dustin off, is like, oh, thank you, sir, that's very nice of you. What is your name? Would you like a drink? Thank you very much. Did you had to come home with me? Great. <laughs> can I buy you something? And, you know, and I'm like, God damn it! Why couldn't I think of something that <laughs> it's cool? The
0: British accent, uh, you, you can't. But he you,
1: knew something specific. Yeah, that's like an actor thing. I and saw the,
0: you on the stage in the uh, West End God. in 1992, damn and you were it. brilliant. Piss me off doing Shakespeare. That's why you. That's how you suck up to an actor. I Tell know. him you've seen him doing Shakespeare. I love
1: all your movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, coming what back a bad around. Bad
0: that is. Uh, of two minds is. Uh, is really an unbelievably uh, touching and heartfelt movie about uh, bipolar disorder, and uh, it's it it you know if you, it's it's so funny because you wonder well hasn't anybody made a movie about bipolar disorder actually no nobody has really made a movie looking at it and looking at the people who suffer from it and how it affects their lives and their relationships because their, their... they
1: can't focus enough to make the movie well, that's
0: why but this is really good I mean they did a great job here it's, it's, it's sometimes uh, really hard to watch but it's really touching and very insightful and it'll make you a more compassionate person as a result and then uh, The Black Kung Fu Experience by uh, Martha Burr and Mei Jun Chen. Uh, Martha Burr is, uh, is a good friend of mine. She used to be an editor at Wushu Kung Fu Magazine, where I wrote uh, intermittently and semi-regularly. And uh, Martha has done, uh, Martha's done a number of these uh, martial arts documentaries, and they are all absolutely outstanding. And this is so long overdue. The Black Kung Fu Experience, which was originally uh, aired on PBS uh looks at the you know everybody like Jim Kelly just died we should point out which is is at rather it's you know a tragedy that coincides in a very timely way because uh one of the reasons that enter the dragon was such a huge hit in the urban community in the United States, not just because Bruce Lee was really, really big in the urban community, but because Jim Kelly was also big. And he was in that movie you know, with the kung fu and the fro and the whole thing. And nobody has ever really, really gotten to the meat of where this thing happened. Like kung fu movies exploded in the U.S., but they exploded first in the black community. Like what, what, what is it with kung fu and black people? This is, this, that's what this gets into. And it looks uh, more specifically at a group of, uh, of, of pioneering black martial artists. Uh, Ron Van Cleef Dennis Brown Tayari Cassell and Don Hamby I'd never heard of these guys but man uh, it totally makes sense all of a sudden you understand how these two different cultural experiences coincide and why they coincide at a particular point in time and uh, it's a great documentary so Martha and her uh, her co-director Major Chen did a great job so bravo to them awesome love it
1: uh, speaking of awesome love it Wade we have a terrific documentary called Brooklyn Castle Brooklyn Castle is a uh Is a doc that takes place at a uh, school in uh, Brooklyn where uh, over half the kids live below the federal poverty line, but they have the highest-ranked junior high chess team in the nation. And the documentary charts these kids who are great at chess, and they're all quite poor, and it's a great documentary. It's lively, and it's fun, and you just love these kids, and it's all about these kids. They're You know they have such horrible home lives, but yet they're smart enough to just be these amazing chess players, and uh, it's great. It's emotional and it's powerful and it's positive. And Brooklyn Castle is uh, is a really cool doc, and you will love it. Um, It's a great story. Brooklyn Castle, highly recommended.
0: Beautiful. And then I got a trio here as we wind down the uh, the doc segment. Got a trio here from the uh, Cinema Libre people, which are you you know their stuff is all very politically active, left uh, of center to progressive. And uh, these are three from their Earth Now series. Um, one of them is the first 70, which is uh, about the uh, the threats to California's state parks. I actually live near a number of state parks. I've got to say they're not terribly well-maintained. So there is, there is something to this. You know, the, uh, the California state park system is, is in problem. And then uh, this is the other one is called Save the Farm, which is about uh, the and this is interesting. There are actually a number of uh, celebrities who show up in this, you know, including Amy Smart and Daryl Hannah, who's always active at something. And this is all a uh, an urban farm in the middle of uh, South Central LA, which of course we're supposed to call South LA now. You know that, right?
1: I, it's been doing they've been doing that for years. It's yeah. like wow, suddenly it just became safer because they changed the name.
0: But it's 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 interesting. You don't realize that these little kind of uh, you know. These these community farms, these little urban farms, are sometimes the only pieces of green in these giant concrete and asphalt landscapes. So that's a very, that's an important story. That one, you know, uh, I remember some of this stuff when you know. In fact, I'm not even sure it was this one. I remember there was, there was one. I think it's Santa Monica that there was a big dust up over. Anyway, this is a good story. And then uh, the last one is Scavenger Hunt, which is uh, all about the California condor. And uh, I, I found this so informative, and it, it, it increased my appreciation of the condor even more because I've actually seen a condor. Did you know that?
1: Uh, I saw three days of the condor. I actually
0: – I've seen a condor once. It strafed our house and um, my wife like all, thought it was a plane at first, it was so huge, we see hawks all the time, okay, they're big right, Condor it w- is like enormous, it's like a Boeing 747 compared to a Cessna, it's freaking enormous, you, you just, it, you're just you not accustomed to seeing it, and it was the one time straight the house and you just go, that is the biggest thing I have ever seen in the sky it is huge and so impressive so, bravo to the California Condor keep it big
1: uh, oh Wade, uh, bravo to Allen Ginsberg, and uh, Allen Ginsberg, if you don't know, he was a uh, beat poet and a major literary figure of the time, and the time we're talking about like the, you know, 60s or whatever, yeah, uh, 50s and 60s. Um, The Life and Times of Allen Ginsberg is a terrific uh, sort of a two-disc primer on his life. It includes interviews with a bunch of people who were there at the time, including John Baez and... William Burroughs and Timothy Leary, but it also includes uh, new interviews with stars. You're like, really? They cared about Allen Ginsberg? Oh yes, Johnny Depp interviewed <laughs> here. Cares about Allen Ginsberg. Oh, Johnny,
0: Johnny Johnny Depp, isn't he the star of some movie that's tanking like miserably right I now? I know.
1: You know what? It's just mm-hmm. the thing is the thing with Lone Ranger is that like it can't really decide what it wants to be. It's like, is it a t- Is it is it an arc? Is it a does he want to make a t- typical western an atypical western an action comedy a mystical thing so it just winds up being everything
0: not to detour too much from alan ginsburg but i want to tell you they missed their opportunity because they had a chance to reboot the lone ranger in a very very relevant way compared to like with the housing crisis and the economic crisis people can't get loans if he were the lone ranger i
1: knew there was something stupid coming i could tell you see i you'd be a bad poker player because i knew something bad was about to happen <laughs>
0: And, and by the, the way L-O-A-N Ranger in in,
1: in in this film There's no Clinton Spillsbury to, th- to speak of Clinton Spillsbury Yes
0: Clinton Spillsbury uh, I, I know
1: Who was the Star of The last Lone Ranger film I know
0: I know The and one from nineteen. What was it 81. 81 Yeah
1: And it was the only film
0: Boy that he, he ever made He did
1: <laughs> The only film he ever made it's Was a, the Lone Ranger It's a
0: tainted uh, franchise It really is At this point Well now, I mean
1: If 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 you spend a quarter Of a billion dollars And can't make it work Who's gonna Who's going to jump on that bandwagon?
0: Uh, You know, the the Lone Ranger was created by the same guy who created the Green Hornet. You know that, right? Right. In fact, the Green Hornet, the, character the green hornet is supposed to be like the grandson of the lone ranger there's a there's a connection between the two stories there you know did you know that
1: no i that i didn't know
0: yeah it's like it's like the 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 lone ranger's grandson or great-grandson is the green hornet that's that's the whole thing wow. and given how well audiences embraced uh the green hornet two years ago what were they thinking
1: well, no one really knows that. But yeah, but it's, you know it's what? just... It's just it's, it's, I think, too, that the Lone Ranger is almost, as a character to be played properly, he's really too old-fashioned for
0: this yes. world.
1: He's just like this straight-arrow guy who well, just wants he's to a do Well,
0: right. he's a different generation of superhero. And that, and that kind of describes Allen Ginsberg, too, doesn't it?
1: It really is. A, he, he, Allen Ginsberg is a new generation of superhero. Anyway, good stuff. 120 Hours of Footage was shot by uh, director Jeffrey Aronson and uh, Jerry Aronson, and he did a great job putting it together. Uh, this, is a great st- this is great stuff. If you want to know what, what it was like in those days and how heady and, and uh, unique those days were, then check out The Life and Times of Alan Ginsberg. Uh,
0: new movies, and the, uh, this shows you what a slow week <laughs> that this is. Um, the new movie this week is Admission. This is it. This is it, Mark. This is we got we, the one that you're holding there, and Admission. These are the two uh, big new releases this week. So we're we're kind of in a phase now where the January and February movies are getting released, and some March movies, and uh, it's not a lot of great stuff. You know, Admission, I, I thought got kind of unfairly hammered. I think Tina Fey and Paul Rudd are wonderful. I love them both. I think their chemistry is wonderful. There's just nothing remarkable about the story. So it's kind of like they're, you know, you admire their strokes, but they're still swimming upstream uh it's beautiful way here, Maya. right it's, it's, what a turn of phrase yeah, so anyway beautiful. I, I don't i don't know how people just come up with some of these stories i really don't anyway uh you know tina fey plays a, a princeton admissions officer and uh paul rudd plays a former classmate that she bumps into and you know I guess we're supposed to just suddenly uh, really tune into all their their wonderful romantic travails. Um, uh, Paul White's okay, fine, you know decent job directing this, but it's just not great material. You know, it's just uh, again swimming upstream. Uh, so there it is. It's on. It's it, you know you get this. Uh, you can do your little ultraviolet thing on this. It's, uh, I got here a Blu-ray DVD ultraviolet digital copy combo Mondo thing from Focus Features, which of course is a division of Universal. So it's all ultraviolet.
1: Uh, Wade uh, Stephanie Meyer is the writer of the original Twilight series. You know what that means? That means when you have a hit, that means every other book you've ever written or will write is will be automatically made into a movie.
0: Yeah, until they all flop.
1: Until they all flop, and that that uh, that string of flops uh, has begun. Wow. The host from uh, last year. This is uh, this stars a uh, Shorshorshorsh Ronan. I love her. She's awesome. Yeah, she is totally. Shorsh Ronan. She's awesome. Yep Uh, Dan Kruger uh, Jacob Bell Who's like the latest uh, It guy She's in
0: Byzantium too Have you seen that The the, the Neil Jordan film Byzantium Is it good You know Everybody's ripping on it Man Alonzo Just tore it to shreds I liked it Really? I mean, yes, it's 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 not your it's not your typical vampire movie. It's more of a kind of an in, an existential and kind of art house vampire movie. But so what? You know, I, I dug it. I thought it was cool. Uh,
1: Max Irons, the uh, son of Jeremy Irons, is in it as well as William Hurt. Anyway, this movie uh, just did not really. Uh,
0: take oh, Max Irons. He's Max hot. He's, he's nicknamed Hot Irons.
1: Talk, talk, talk about something else. Okay, all right, never mind. I'm going to hand this that's to right. you, because if you're talking, it means you're not making jokes. <laughs>
0: totally, that's true. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I like Rupert Grint. I respect uh, anyone who's trying to shed the Harry Potter thing, and uh, I don't even know if this... I'm a little bit out of it, Mark, because if I'm not on the radio on a given week, I'm not worried about what gets theatrically released. Did Into the White actually make it into theaters?
1: Oh God! I I had never even heard of it till the uh, Blu-ray crossed our desks.
0: Okay, well, this is from Magnolia. I got the Blu-ray right in my hand, and uh, you have what in your hand? The Blu-ray. Oh, stop it, you cad! Why I ought to? No, this is this is actually a pretty cool film. It's uh, it's about you know, it's a survival movie basically about. uh, I I guess it's a little bit like. What's the What's the John Borman movie? Uh, uh, not hope floats, hope. Uh, no, 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 hope and glory. No, no, no. The John Borman movie uh, the, with the immigrants. island, the, the American and the Japanese uh, on the uh, with the, the. You know what I'm talking
1: about? Uh, uh, Star Wars. The,
0: the original film that was remade as uh, Enemy Mine by. Uh, oh
1: yeah, it's uh, hang on, please hold. No, I'm gonna think of it. I'm gonna think of it. Keep talking. It's yeah. I'll keep talking.
0: Anyway, that's kind of what this is. Uh, it is. It's apparently a true story about a couple of fighter pilots, one German and. Um, one British, and uh, they have to kind of uh, you know survive together in this cabin uh, somewhere in this desolate part of Norway after they after they crash, and uh, it's uh, it's a really interesting story. I mean, it doesn't overly kind of preach the uh, you know you were enemies now you have to be brothers angle. It doesn't really ram that down your throat. It just kind of lets the actors do their thing. I don't. If this didn't get a theatrical release, it really should have because it's. Um, it's good, it's it's well done all the way through by Peter Ness the or Petter Ness, who uh, I I'm going to assume is a Norwegian director, and uh, it's really good. It's got Rupert Grint and Stig Henrik Hoff, David Cross, Florian Lucas, and Lachlan Nibor. So, as you can tell by the fact that I have just destroyed the names of the rest of the cast, the only person here of note is Rupert Grint. And I guess his success in Harry Potter was not enough to convince people that he has any marquee value outside of Harry Potter. So, anyway, um, good film. Into the White. Definitely check it out. I love World War Two movies, and this is a good one.
1: Uh, Wade, um, mixed uh, feelings about the brass teapot. This is... Uh... This star is Juno Temple, who I like a lot. I like Juno Temple she's a lot. Good. She's good. I'm just waiting for her to explode. She's going to win an
0: Oscar. She's going to be like, you know, at some point she will. She's not going to be the next Jennifer Lawrence, but she's going to pop like Jennifer Lawrence. She'll get that part. Yeah, well, There'll be a part, and she'll just be like the the next hot thing, and everybody she'll be on every magazine cover, and it'll be, oh, Juno, Juno. That moment will come. It hasn't come yet, but it will.
1: But she has to stop doing these marginal films that uh, are okay but not great and don't get much attention. Anyway, yeah. Magnolia also brings us the brass teapot. <laughs> this is the uh, magical story about uh, two crazy young kids who uh, – Crazy wrote, kids. Crazy kids. Who go to a antique store and they find a magical teapot that Aww. like spouts money every time somebody's in pain.
0: Really? Any when? That's whenever, the story.
1: Whenever they're near somebody feeling physical pain, it spouts money.
0: Really? Yes. Okay. That is a movie.
1: Okay. And of course, it's uh, it's a bit uh, you know uh, allegorical and uh, it's okay. You know, again the the two stars. It's uh, Juno and Michael and. Garano, who I don't know who that is. It reminds me a I little,
0: that reminds me a little bit of that uh, the, that, that William Shatner Twilight Zone, oh, where, the, the, uh, where they go the, into the diner. Yeah, and,
1: the, and then Shatner. He, it's, a little, it's No, it's a, it's the thing that gives them l- the, l- the little fortune little fortunes. Deals. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the look the uh, the two leads are pretty appealing, and uh, I do love Juno Temple. Um, it's just, it's just a bit of a minor.
0: You know, for those who curiosity, for those who don't live in uh, in the United States, the the or even in Los Angeles, I, I'm assuming that maybe Los Angeles is the only place this happens. But the, um, the Twilight Zone marathon on Fourth of July, best thing ever.
1: No, no, that, I, I think that's on Sci Fi Network.
0: Is it Sci Fi Network? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. All I know is I turn the television on the Fourth of July, flip around, I always find a Twilight Zone episode all day long. Uh, Boy is a really, really good uh, New Zealand film, and I have a little bit of a connection to this. Uh, this is from uh, Taika Waititi, who uh, is an Academy Award uh, nominee for a short film from a number of years ago, and his, uh, his awesome short film, Two Cars, One Night, is also included on here. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The, when I was on the Shorts jury at AFI Fest many moons ago, we gave the winning award to Two Cars, One Night. Uh, right before he got an Oscar nomination Uh, and Taika Waititi was there this guy is an unbelievable director he's so talented such a sweet short film and this is a really short I mean he's good with kids he's really good with kids this movie uh, Boy takes place in uh, 1984 and it's about this 11 year old kid and uh, his just this unbelievable uh, adventure that he goes on in uh, in the summer of 1984. And uh, it's a wonderful coming-of-age film. It's not at all what you would expect. It's got this just really cool um, New Zealand sensibility to it. And uh, Taika is sh- really should be a much bigger director than he is. I-, I-, I hope this is the beginning of really big things for him. The interesting thing about that year when we uh, were giving awards to the shorts, the uh, there was another short that we did not give the award to, even though it was really good, uh, by a young guy named Jason Reitman. Never heard of Yeah. So I'm proud of all these people. But anyway, Boy is from Kino, Kino Lorber. It's on DVD and Blu-ray. Definitely check it out on Blu-ray. It's really nicely shot. Taika Waititi, uh, just a terrific filmmaker, and uh, big things will happen. So you watch this movie, you're discovering a guy who is going to be a big deal very soon.
1: Um, Wade, um, the director of The Power of Few, has obviously seen uh, Pulp Fiction because uh, this movie is just like Pulp Fiction. It's uh it's got a decent cast including Christopher Walken yep. and Christian Slater and Anthony Anderson. Mm-hmm. And uh it's one of those movies where there's like it's set in New Orleans and there is five sets of characters and five stories and they're all taking place kind of at the same time and then and then sets of characters will be in the foreground for one story recede to the background and kind of walk through the frame and maybe show up in a for a line of dialogue or two as one of the other stories comes to the foreground. And Pulp Fiction did that so brilliantly, this one not so much, although it is a decent um Take on it uh, I have to say that If you were like Bored out of your mind And you whip up Netflix And you're like You know what What's the Power of Few I think I'll kill two hours Watching the Power of Few I think you could do A lot worse But um, Sure you could. I think you're better off In terms of buying the Blu-ray No way It's a total Netflix time killer But uh, it's not bad The Power <laughs> Few Wait I, I, I have a question for you Yes hit me uh, Not literally Just hit uh, me with the question But what if I wanted to hit you
0: Well yeah, we'll take it out back <laughs> Exactly
1: Okay. There's a movie, Wade. Yes. called uh, Would You Rather? Oh, dear. So, it's based on those questions like would you rather?
0: Would you be rather be,
1: you ready? Yeah. Would you rather be Cinderella or be Ariel?
0: Jeez, I don't know. I Cinderella had better dresses. Um I'm going to say Cinderella. Better uh, style.
1: Th- there's no there's no you know That's the wrong answer to
0: that. Ariel from The Little Mermaid, right?
1: How about this? Would you rather have a lightsaber from Star Wars or a phaser from Star Trek?
0: Oh, phaser, please. Give me a break. Friggin' lightsaber. What do you do with that damn thing? It's got no range.
1: (laughs) No. Here's a funny one. Okay. Would you rather only be able to laugh at violently racist jokes (laughs) or only be able to laugh at intricate Star Trek jokes? That's not much of a question. Stop that's the
0: strangest question I've ever no, heard. No, some of these
1: – there, I'm, I'm not plugging the website because I just, I just happen to know it exists. There's a website called called yourather.com. Yeah. And they give you these would you rather questions. Like here's one. Would you rather – Wow. Would you rather eat a chocolate-covered turd or eat a turd? What? Eat, what? I'll, I'll give you another one.
0: What? What is this?
1: Okay, would you rather eat Chinese food all the time or only Mexican food all the time?
0: Isn't there a movie to talk about? No. This is
1: better. (laughs) Oh, here's one. Would you rather be anorexic or obese? Go.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. Would you
1: rather be anorexic or obese?
0: Obese because I could work it off. Anorexic is like a, a psychological disorder. Good grief. No. Obese, you're just lazy. You're just a fat ass. Anorexic, you've got to go to therapy. Hell no. No, no. Obese. Anytime. Because I, I like running. It'll come off.
1: Okay. If, you, you have a daughter, right?
0: Yes. Oh, jeez. Good it. night, folks. We're done. This is We're the done. greatest
1: website ever. Would you rather regurgitate food to feed your daughter or lick your daughter to bathe her?
0: i lick her anyway. So, uh, the latter. Good grief. Who right, comes this, up with this?
1: this
0: Dreadful. Uh, anyway, never mind. There's a movie called "Would You Rather," yes. and Mark just completely took the steam out of the movie. It's Mike.
1: with uh, Britney Snow, and uh, you know, it's one of those movies. The movie posits like if you were offered a million dollars to solve all your problems, would you take the money? And what would happen once you? You know, it, it's a bit like "Indecent Proposal," except with money instead of sex. I see. And uh, I'm just going to have to pass on it. It's just all not right. that great. Although it does star Sasha Gray, who I thought was terrific in um, Soderbergh's The Girlfriend Experience. Nice. Otherwise, um, I just She's porn, right? Thing. She's a
0: porn actress. She is a porn yeah. actress. Yeah, there you
1: go. Okay, wait, I, have, I have one more for you. Yeah,
0: hit me. Would you,
1: would you rather eat all your meals where the food is freezing cold... Or eat all your meals with five tablespoons of salt poured on
0: it. <laughs> I'm freezing cold, dude. <laughs> That's the horrible thing. Uh, one more new movie before we get into uh, some, some classics and some library titles. American Mary, starring a wonderful actress named Catherine Isabel, is by the Saska Sisters. Now, I don't know who the Saska Sisters are, but all I know is this is uh, one of the few new horror films that I actually think is really cool. It's won a bunch of awards at, the, uh, at Scream Fest. And uh, Catherine Isabel is great. I think she's uh, definitely going to emerge from genre uh, an anonymity into mainstream notoriety with this. Um, she basically plays a med school student who gets into underground surgery and body modification, and uh, it's a this is a little bit like the. Um, like the stuff that Nip Tuck didn't dare show you on television because they couldn't. Uh, honestly, I think this is really cool. It's got, a, it's got style. It's got sensibility. It's got tongue-in-cheek. And it's, you know what, it's actually genuinely scary. So you want to definitely check this out. American Mary, uh, a big hit at Scream Fests from the Saska Sisters, who I think they're probably going to do some more stuff, too.
1: Oh, wait, we have two uh, DVDs and uh, uh, associated Blu-rays of two Pre-code Betty Davis classics, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, One yeah. is uh, Hell's House, and this had a great 35 millimeter restoration from the good folks at Kino. <laughs> this is uh, Betty Davis. This is sort of before she was super famous because it is thir- 1932, and uh, it, you know what? It's kind of like a um, kind of like a reform school kind of a story. Like the Hell House is a reform school. Um, I'm about to cough now, Wade.
0: Go ahead, cough. <coughs> Do it. All <laughs> Thank right. You. Yeah.
1: I'm done now. So this is kind of fun, and I really, I really do like pre-code movies. This is on Blu-ray and DVD. You certainly don't need the Blu-ray, but uh, if you're a Blu-ray collector, go for that. Also, Of Human Bondage uh, is a uh, based on the Somerset Maugham novel, and this is from 1934. And this is really one of, I think, this is one of Betty Davis's first breakout performances. Um, it's with Leslie Howard, who started with Gone with the Wind. And uh, it's great stuff. Of uh, Human Bondage is a classic. It's based on Somerset Maugham's uh, novel. And Hell's House is a little bit kitschier because it's about reform schools, but it's still kind of fun. Both on nice.
0: Blu-ray or DVD. Nice. Sweet. DVD. Uh, got some titles from uh, Twilight Time here. We love the people with Twilight Time. They uh, they always scour up some really interesting old titles. Remember, the Twilight Time stuff you can only find at Screen Archives. Uh, Dot com, screen screenarchivesplural.com uh 3,000 units, and then they're gone. They're done. And uh, so you want to scrounge these up as soon as you possibly can. Uh, Hard Times was a film that Pauline Kale went nuts for. Which is saying something because she didn't go nuts for an awful lot, but uh, this is an early Walter Hill film from 1975, and uh, the year before Rocky, you've got uh, Charles Bronson as a Depression-era street fighter in a really, really cool, touching film, co-written and directed by Walter Hill, as I said, and uh, with uh, action sequences, believe it or not, edited by Roger Spottiswood.
1: Another former Bond Uh, uh, director. Yeah,
0: isn't that great? And some great supporting performances here. Uh, Struther Martin, who everybody always forgets about, is just just he's he's a drug addicted cut man in this movie. He's great. Uh, James Coburn is the uh, the really sleazy promoter. It's just uh, it's got a really great style. It's one of those good solid seventies movies that uh, everybody always forgets about. And uh, Twilight Time has snatched that up from the uh, Columbia Library. You've got to go to ScreenArchives.com to find it. And then The Only Game in Town, uh, which uh, is, is, And believe, also, these uh, worth pointing out. These all have isolated soundtracks. Uh, that's part of the Screen Archives thing. So the isolated score uh, available on all these Twilight Time titles. Uh, this one's from the 20th Library, The Only Game in Town. Uh, which is kind of sad because it reminds me what Warren Beatty used to look like and every time I see Warren Beatty uh, as a young man as like a strapping young stud I just go oh man he's like old and jowly now it happens to all of us it's so depressing anyway Warren Beatty is in this with Elizabeth Taylor who frankly is is a lot worse for the wearer than Warren Beatty these days and because uh, she's dead you see Mark I don't get it Okay. Anyway, this is the last film directed by George Stevens, believe it or not. I had uh, I'd forgotten that George Stevens kept his career going right up to 1970, just so that he could say he, he actually made a movie in the 70s, even though the 1970s technically part of the previous decade. But you know, that's how we do it. We start with the zero. Uh the last film by George Stevens, great score by Maurice Jarre, I should point out. So the isolated score here is just wonderful. This is a tremendous Maurice Jarre score. Uh is it a great uh George Stevens movie? No, it's like George Stevens like a lot of other directors at the time is kind of trying to remain relevant and uh what he's doing here is basically um uh adapting a um a play that uh, I it still feels like a play. And um you know, Beatty and Elizabeth Taylor—they're good, but they're still basically in a play, and it's kind of a sort of a, a small movie. But I don't know—I guess I guess, it, I guess it, you know. It, look, Warren Beatty and Elizabeth Taylor—you can't totally dismiss it. And again, the best thing about this is the score, Maurice Jarre's score. So both of these on uh, quite good Blu-rays.
1: A oh, way to have three uh, cult cult movies now that need yeah. to be purchased, or or I, or I will reach through the um, I'll reach through the internet I IG, I G N lines. <laughs> What's it
0: called uh, the, uh, ign.com is the website no, that we're I'll, part of.
1: like here. if you want to reach through the computer lines, it's the through the through like the the, the, the ethernets? Yes, sure. Okay. Why not? Boy, did I blow that one! <laughs> um, saving the best for first, we have the producers, which it's just such a shame that the producers needs to be put out by Shot Factory. We love Shot Factory, we support all their stuff, love Shot Factory. But the thing is that the producers is one of the funniest films ever made. It is an all-time classic. It has been out, on, it has been out many times on um, DVD, and this is actually its uh, first time on Blu-ray, which is a bit of a shame. And it's just, it really is sad that. I don't know if it's Warner Brothers who owns this or MGM, whoever owns uh, the rights to this thing. Did they really not see any value in in coming out with the producers on Blu-ray? Are you kidding me? I don't know. I mean, luckily, it's got to go to somebody, I'm glad it went to Shot Factory because uh, there's a great documentary here called The Making of the Producers, like over an hour. Um, there's a deleted scene There's a uh, another featurette It's a little it's shorter It's still fine Called uh, Mel in his movies Mel Brooks in his movies But it's the producers And this thing is an absolute Unbelievable uh, blast with Gene Wilder Who just turned 80 recently uh, Stars in it Along with Zero Mostel And of course Dick Sean Wade loves Dick Sean
0: I do love Dick Sean So the producers Can't which get by the Dick w- Shawn.
1: Which wilder the you're, you're, you're not giving He
0: plays me. Laurent Saint Dubois
1: LSD baby I think I'll put this over here
0: Nope Nope. I'm going to watch this tonight. I'm going to watch this. Tonight. No,
1: you're not. It, yeah. You're never going to watch it. You say that, you you, you're never going to watch it.
0: Ow. I fell on my keys. <laughs> I'm hysterical. I'm wet, and I'm hysterical. <laughs> I'm in pain, and I'm wet. Oh, it's just he so, was the it's
1: best. Bad. I love Gene Wilder. God, he was the best. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. So good. The other uh, cult uh, film from 1965 is The Beatles' Help. Now, Richard Lester had directed uh, the first Beatles film, A Hard Day's Night, and it was kind of a a bit of a low-budget affair, but it did very well, so he was given more money to do Help, and you can tell because it's in color, and they shot at a bunch of exotic locations. And um, I don't know, Help is not as good as A Hard Day's Night. Uh, I think A Hard Day's Night was more controlled lunacy, whereas this one just feels kind of all over the place. But um, I do like this film. They supposedly uh, base it on the Marx Brothers' duck soup. That was kind of an inspiration for it. Um, but you know the Beatles weren't really necessarily fans of this movie I think that they spent most of this movie smoking marijuana all the time Because that's what they did in the mid-60s They like smoked pot for breakfast um, But still, a lot of great songs Help, You're Gonna Lose That Girl, Ticket to Ride um, I, 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 I think it's cool I really do like Help, this is a terrific film If you're a Beatles completist, you cannot avoid purchasing the Blu-ray of Help Awesome I think I'll put this here Now, the other movie that I'm going to put right here is <laughs> one of the funniest movies in the history of everything. Now, you, we all love the spoof movies, the Wayne's Brothers spoof movies, and Date Night and Scary Movie, and we all love Airplane and all that kind of stuff. But before all of that, the one that started it all was from 1977 John Landis's. Kentucky Fried Movie.
0: Oh, totally. This thing Zaz. This was Landis and Zaz. It was written Everybody by... Everybody always it, forgets they work together.
1: It was written by, it was written by uh, the Zucker Brothers and, and, and uh, James Abraham, as he's, uh, as he's credited here. And uh, it was directed by John Landis. And this is just a hilarious segment. It's a, it, it, a movie. It's an anthology thing. It's got like, you know, a couple, like maybe 12 or so different uh, little tiny mini... Many vignettes in it and they're all really funny a lot of them are from stars from back in the day like Bill Bixby who played the Incredible Hulk on TV Donald Sutherland the father of Kiefer Sutherland uh, George Lazenby who played uh, James Bond in one film and the great Henry Gibson and actually there's 22 um, segments and I just love this movie Kentucky Fried movie when it came out we had never seen anything like it and uh, it's great it led to The na- uh, Naked Gun it led to Airplane of course John Landis went on to do Animal House and Blues Brothers and I'm going to put this right here you know, I'm putting this right here,
0: Wade. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, Blood, Blood and, and sand. Right I'm, there, Wade. I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a, a thing. Movie. I'm going to do a thing for you. You ready for this? You yeah. ready for this? This is what. This is a thing that you're, you're going to hate. Yes. Okay, George Stevens. We just talked about George Stevens' last film, yes. right? Okay. Yes. Well, George Stevens uh, also directed The Sun Also Rises, right? And in The Sun Also Rises, uh, which which starred Robert Evans as a a bullfighter, right? Robert Evans, the Robert Evans, who would have yes. eventually you know, produce The Godfather. Very
1: handsome in his, in, in right. in his
0: youth. Well, oh, as is. it happens, that movie also starred Tyrone Power, and Tyrone Power played a bullfighter in the movie Blood and Sand. What? Do you
1: That's like how I just made that connection? how I
0: did a little thing. Holy Christ. I did a little thing. I moved somehow from uh, Warren Beatty and Elizabeth Taylor to uh, Tyrone Power in Blood and Sand, just, just with connections, just concept connections, just stream of consciousness. That's how I do. Uh, this is uh, a 20th Century Fox film. From the Golden Era and uh, Tyrone Power and Rita Hayworth uh, as uh, you've never seen them before. Actually, as you've seen them in just about everything else you've ever done. Uh, Blood and Sand, with, also with, also with uh, Anthony Quinn. Uh, you know, perfectly decent uh, Hollywood Golden Era film from Ruben Mamoulian, otherwise famous as the guy who directed the very first ever uh, Technicolor film, Becky Sharp and uh it's but it's a melodrama, nothing uh you know unusual about it. Uh, it's you know basically uh just straight up guy it's a little bit like weathering heights, I guess uh with bullfighting instead of um weathering. I don't know anyway, uh he wants to become the greatest matador in Spain. And uh, bring his woman with him. Anyway, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's one of those typical Hollywood melodramas that they made back in the day. And uh, I know you hate it when I say back in the day, but I'm going to keep saying it. And uh, the, the best thing about this, actually, is the commentary by um, uh, Richard Crudeau who uh, was the director of photography and was previously uh, president of the uh, American Cinema- uh, Society of Cinematographers. So I, again, I, I always enjoy these movies. Tyrone Power was a student of my father's, so I always kind of had a little uh, connection to these things. But, you know, it's, it's kind of standard issue melodrama with a couple of really fetching stars. And by the way, Rita Hayworth, also a student of my father's. So there we go. I feel, I feel suddenly like it's family.
1: Speaking of we go...
0: Oh, are we getting to the end of the show? Yes. Hold on, where are we? Oh my goodness, we're we're overtime. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give. Uh, I'm going to mention one last uh, old classic film, and then we'll be done with it. Mark Conan Tate. Do you remember Cohen and Tate? Uh, I do not. You don't? Nope. Really? You have nope. no recollection of Cohen and Tate? Nope. This is a 1989 movie starring um, Roy Scheider and Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin, like, kind of coming right off of uh, My Bodyguard, but before he was, you know. Uh, and actually, Full Metal Jacket—he had just done Full Metal Jacket, I guess, as well, briefly. So anyway, um, Adam Baldwin, guy who never really got a great, uh, great run at this. But this was written and directed by a guy named Eric Red, who, to my knowledge, never really had much of a career after this at all. But uh, this is what they did: was they took the ransom at Red Chief, the uh, O. Henry short story, and uh, turned it into kind of a, a big cop film. And it ain't bad. I uh, I don't know why this kind of vanished off the off the map, but Shop Factory has brought it back. It's on Blu-ray, and uh, among other things, it features a commentary with Eric Red and uh, interviews and deleted scenes. And uh, I actually think it's uh, I think it's pretty sharp. Anything with Roy Scheider from this period I always like. Roy Scheider just makes everything better. So um, yeah, kind of you know Ransom of Red Chief uh, imposed into a kind of a mob story from the late '80s. Kind of a, a cool lost little movie. Wow. I like it. All right. And Mark, we're still looking for uh, for sign outs. So you know, email yes, us. some, though. We, we've had some suggestions, some interesting ones, some some good ones. Uh, looking for more, so send us your suggestions for how we should sign out and sign off the show at, gods at digigods.com. Send us uh, listener mails, send us uh, Vox boxes. We're, we're we got I think maybe one Vox box uh, left from that we banked a few weeks ago, and we're going to uh, get rid of that on the next show. I think I got to check make sure we still got that, and then. Um, You know, here we go. Uh, Signing off. See you next time.